95% of all UFO sightings can be immediately identified. It's the 5% that give you the release. Pilots chase them sometimes, but can't catch them. There are near misses between these things and commercial aircraft. And you saw the disc uh, of it. These are very hard to dismiss, the, the handful of sightings. A UFO in broad daylight near Paris. We suddenly observed a very bright red-orange object. It was oval. UFOs have interfered with missiles. I saw something that defied logic. Reported a strange craft, triangular in shape. On the triangular shape craft. Mystery craft being seen. Dark metallic in appearance. Flying craft. There's an orange orb. Glowing orb. The glowing orbs. A giant ball of light. Glowing object. Could be aliens. And folks, as I share this with you, what you need to know is I'm not only familiar with this topic now as a Christian, but even before I became a Christian, I was well versed in this phenomena. I've been to the conferences talking about UFO abductions. I've read uh, the books, many books, lots of books on UFOs. Uh, I've had strange encounters with UFOs myself. Uh, I've even talked with, I've interviewed various people having various encounters themselves. And I'm very familiar with this topic, but I share this not to toot my own horn, so to speak, but to share with you this point. It's only after becoming a Christian and reading the Bible that I began to see their true identity. And folks, let me tell you, it's not a pretty one. UFOs, I truly believe, are one of the most deceptive lies ever to hit this planet. They are clearly demonic, and as we will see, yet so few, even Christians, have a clue of what's really going on, let alone what our world is heading for and what these so-called space brothers have planned for our planet. Therefore, let's continue to take a look at UFOs, the great last day's deception. And folks, believe it or not, Jesus Christ, out of love, clearly told us in the Bible exactly what was going to happen in the last days, which I personally believe that we are in. And yet here's the irony. People have been trained either to scoff at the Bible and or flat out just not even pick it up so as to not discover the truth themselves, including the truth about UFOs and who and what they really are. So let's do our homework and let's see what Jesus said about the last days and hopefully answer the question, do UFOs play any part specifically in that time frame, the last days? Uh, Jesus said, by the way, speaking of the last days, uh, you don't want to be there. It was going to be a time, he said, that's the worst time in the history of mankind. So much so that if God had not shortened that time frame, that nobody on the planet would survive. It is horrible. You absolutely do not want to be there. But again, don't take my word for it. Let's listen to Jesus. Here's what he says in the book of Matthew, chapter 24. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, 
but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the desert, do not go out. Or, here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And so here we see, folks, for the very first time, uh, the very first thing out of Jesus' mouth to indicate that we are living in the last days is it's going to be a time characterized by deception. And not just deception, but great deception. Uh, massive lies, things that we can't even dream of. That's how uh, cunning and deceiving they are. A and he said there in the text we just read, they're promoted by false prophets and false Christs uh, or messiahs. And that's exactly what these UFO occupants happen to be claiming to be and doing, as we'll get to in just a little bit in our study. But the point is this, it's such a time of great deception. It's such a powerful delusion that it says there, as you saw, that it even comes close to deceiving the elect or the Christian, if that were possible. That's how strong of a deception it is. Therefore, we're warned, according to Jesus, according to the Bible, that we need to be on our guard so that no one deceives us. That's how big, that's how powerful these last days lies really are. And we need to be on our guard, therefore, so that we don't fall for it uh, too, even as a Christian. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul said elsewhere about this time frame of deception. He says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-4 through 4, and 8-12, through 12, Quote, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that they will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And so that's the question. What is this lie that the Apostle Paul is talking about here? 
What lie is so powerful that we are warned about it over and over and over again, and it's so powerful that even the elect has the potential to fall for it? Well, folks, believe it or not, many researchers, including myself, believe that this lie that the Bible's talking about is linked to the UFO phenomenon and really is going to play a major part in this last day's deception, this lie that is so powerful, so seductive, that people will eventually do what it's designed to get them to do, unfortunately, to sign allegiance with, to even worship the Antichrist himself. And that's why I believe when we're dealing with UFOs slash aliens, you're dealing with something that's clearly demonic in origin. They are duping people into believing this last day's lie so as to worship the Antichrist and prepare them to enter into the seven-year tribulation that, again, Jesus said, as we saw, is going to be the worst time in mankind's history, according to him. But let's not rest that on my own personal opinion. Let's see why UFOs really are the great last day's deception. And you tell me, when you take a look at the facts, if we're not clearly dealing with something demonic in nature. The first reason why UFOs are clearly demonic in origin is they lie like demons. Kind of like this shot here. Uh, once you see for what it is, uh, it's suspended, it's not real. And it's characteristics of what demons do. They lie. And that's what the Bible says. John chapter 8 verse 44, Jesus speaking about the devil, he says he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. First of all, from a Christian perspective, we know that the whole belief of aliens, i.e. a supposedly higher evolved race, is a lie because the Bible says Jesus died for humans on the earth, not aliens from another world. And the Bible also says that Jesus died one time on the earth, not several times in several different planets, different places across the universe. But even if you didn't want to look at the lie of aliens and UFOs from a Christian perspective at this point, consider this. The whole belief of UFOs and aliens is all based on a lie called evolution, okay? And think about this. The whole premise of aliens uh, is that they're a what? A higher evolved race, right? But wait a second, logically, if evolution is not true, and it's not, then how in the world could these things have ever evolved into a supposed higher race in the first place? And, and for those of you who don't realize just how big of a lie evolution really is, let me just give you a little teaser of some good old fashioned common sense and logic when it comes to this so-called belief system that's supposed to be based on mathematics and science and hard facts. It's not. Let's take a look at the impossible odds of evolution to take place. Here we see the logic of the honeybee. Now, evolutionists believe that all of life evolved purely by chance with no outside help, including a tiny little seemingly simple honeybee. Well, let's observe this belief logically by comparing the tiny little brain of a honeybee to NASA's huge Cray computer, which, by the way, was built and designed by a team of engineers. First, there's the size. The Cray computer is huge, while the honeybee's brain is obviously tiny by comparison. Next, there's the speed. The Cray's computer can process six billion calculations per second, and granted, that's pretty fast, but the brain of the honeybee can do about a thousand billion per second 
which means that its brain is about 166 times faster than a Cray computer. Then there's the energy consumption. The Cray uses many kilowatts, but the Honeybee uses only 10 microwatts. That's pretty efficient, wouldn't you say? In fact, honeybees not only make honey, they fly on honey. That's their energy source. And a honeybee can fly a million miles on one gallon of honey. Let's see you invent a machine that gets a million miles per gallon. Our Heavenly Father did. He's pretty smart, isn't he? Next, we have the cost. The Craig computer costs $48 million, but the honeybee's brain is pretty cheap. We splat them on our windshields all the time. And then we have the maintenance issue. Many people have to uh, scramble when the Cray breaks down, but nobody fixes the honeybee's brain. He heals himself. Let's see you invent a computer that fixes its own problems and replaces its own hard drive when it needs it. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? And then we have the weight. Obviously, the honeybee doesn't weigh much, and thus its brain weighs even less. But the Cray computer weighs 2,300 pounds. So, what's the logical conclusion of this comparison? Well, let's take a look. The Cray computer is huge, it's slow, it's inefficient, it costs a lot of money, and you gotta babysit the dumb thing, and it was designed. And there isn't anybody with a half a brain that would say that the Cray computer came from an explosion in an electronics factory, would they? Of course not. And yet, we have the honeybee's brain, which is faster, more efficient, energy efficient, cheap, and evolution say it did evolve? I don't think so. But then let's take a look at some other logic. How about the logic of Mount Rushmore? Let's apply some logical questions to the formation of the world's largest rock group on Mount Rushmore. Ask any evolutionist these logical questions. How about this question? Do you believe that there is any way that these faces of Washington, Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, and Lincoln could have appeared on this rock by chance? Do you think the wind did that? Uh, do you think erosion did that? How about exfoliation? How about uh, thermal expansion of the rock? If you ask them what caused the faces on Mount Rushmore, they would obviously say that they were designed by someone. And of course they were, by an artist named Gutzon Borglum. But then ask them this question. Do you believe that the men represented here happened by chance? Now if they believe in evolution, they have to say yes. And then say, no, wait a minute. You don't think that their face could appear on a rock by chance, but you do think that their whole complex anatomy with 50 trillion cells could happen by chance? And then ask him, well, how many years would it take for these figures to appear on the side of this mountain by chance? Millions of years? Billions of years? Given a hundred trillion years, could these figures eventually form on the side of the mountain? Obviously, the evolutionists would say it's impossible, no, how, no matter how much time you give it. But then ask him this. But isn't that how you say we got here after billions of years of chance, even though we're incredibly more complex than the faces on Mount Rushmore? So the logical conclusion is that just as the faces on Mount Rushmore had to be designed, how much more then was the human body designed? And speaking of rockheads, uh, while the evolutionists will refrain from saying that the faces carved on the rock of Mount Rushmore happened by chance, they really do believe we all came from a rock. Don't believe me? Listen to him for yourself. I was doing a, asked me to speak at this college in Boston one time. This preacher called all the colleges and universities around Boston. I got my charts out and I said, now folks, I believe the Bible. <clears throat> Nobody cheered. I said, I believe about 6,000 years ago God made everything. The world's not millions of years old. And 2,000 years ago Jesus came and I gave him the basic Bible story, okay? Then I told them what they believe. Because most of them don't know what they believe. You have to tell them. 
You guys believe 20 billion years ago there was a big bang where nothing exploded and produced everything. 4.6 billion years ago the earth cooled down, made a hard rocky crust, it rained on the rocks for millions of years, turned them into soup, and the soup came alive 3 billion years ago. And this early life form found somebody to marry. Boy, now that's a good trick. And something to eat, of course, and slowly evolved into everything we see today. One professor was getting kind of upset about this time. I seem to do that to them. He said, uh, Mr. Hoven, there are hundreds of varieties of dogs in the world. I said, yes, sir, you're right about that. He said, you mean to tell me that you believe all these dogs came from two dogs off of Noah's Ark? You expect me to believe that? Ha, ha, ha. I said, sir, would you look at what you're teaching your students? You're teaching your students that all the dogs in the world came from a rock. <laughs> I had one lady, I'm sorry, a woman, come to me after a debate one time. She was steaming down the aisle, boy, she was mad. Oh, I could tell, I'm in trouble now. I stood there quivering in my boots, you know. She walked up and she said, tonight, you said, we believe we come from a rock. We do not believe that. I said, well, ma'am, calm down just for a minute. I said, do you believe in evolution? She said, yes, I do. I'm a professor here at the university. I said, well, would you please tell me then where we came from? She said, we came from a macro molecule. I said, uh, where did that come from? She said, from the oceans, from the prebiotic soup. I said, where did that come from? She said, well, it rained on the rocks for millions of years. <laughs> and you could see it was slowly dawning on her. I do believe I come from a rock, don't I? <laughs> yes, ma'am, you do. You ought to be proud of it. Hey, don't step on Grandpa, whatever you do. <laughs> but now let's move on to the impossible odds of evolution. Let's take a look at the odds of a single protein. It has been calculated that any event with a value of 1 in 10 to the 50th power will never occur by chance. If it did, it would be a miracle. So now that we know the threshold of an event being mathematically impossible, let's take a look at the odds of a single protein ever coming into being. World-famous astronomer Sir Frederick Hoyle decided to calculate the probability of a single bacterium coming into existence by chance from some sort of primordial soup. Uh, prior to this project, Hoyle was a firm believer in the spontaneous generation of life, but after this project, he changed his opinion 180 degrees. He calculated that the probability of the spontaneous generation of just the proteins of a single amoeba was one chance in 10 to the 40,000th power. Now remember, any probability greater than 1 in 10 to the 50th power is mathematically impossible. That is, it can never occur unless by a miracle. And just to give you how big of an idea the number 10 to the 40,000th power is, the number of atoms in the entire universe is estimated to be about 10 to the 87th power. Therefore, thinking that just even the proteins of a single amoeba, let alone the amoeba itself, spontaneously generating itself is absolutely ridiculous. In fact, it has been said that this kind of thinking is about as reasonable as if you were to say that given enough time and chance that a Scrabble factory could explode enough times until the letters eventually land to perfectly spell out the book War and Peace, or that a tornado can whip through a junkyard leaving behind a perfectly formed Boeing 747. In fact, if you do the math, the odds of a person winning a state lottery every single week of their life from the age of 18 to 99 is more likely than the spontaneous generation of just the proteins of a single amoeba. 
And that's why Sir Frederick Hoyle concluded after his research that, quote, the likelihood of the formation of life from inanimate matter is one to a number of 40,000 knots after it. It's enough to bury Darwin and the whole theory of evolution. There was no primeval soup, neither on this planet nor on any other. And if the beginnings of life were not random, they must therefore have been the product of purposeful intelligence. But let's continue on with the odds of a single bacteria. So far we've seen the odds of a so-called spontaneous generation of just proteins, but this does not take into consideration the so-called chance formation of DNA or RNA or the cell wall that holds all the contents of the cell together. Well, believe it or not, a Yale University physicist named Harold Morowitz has calculated the odds of this, and he demonstrated that the chances of a single bacteria somehow, quote, coming to life is 1 and 10 to the 100 billionth power. Now again, remember, any probability greater than 1 and 10 to the 50th power is mathematically impossible. And that number is so big that he calculated that it would require several hundred thousand blank books just to write the zeros of that number out. And not just you, but you and your entire extended family are more likely to win the lottery every week for a hundred years than it is for a single bacteria to form by chance. And keep in mind that our bodies have an estimated 50 trillion cells which all have to be in existence all at the same time and all have to work properly all at the same time in order for life to function. And keep in mind this is just one human body, okay? You, if you want to procreate, then you need two human bodies at the same time, one male and one female. And of course they have to be interested in each other and we all know how hard it is sometimes just to get married. And it was these mind-boggling odds that led Robert Cheaper to conclude, quote, the improbability involved in generating even one bacterium is so large that it reduces all considerations of time and space to nothingness. Given such odds, the time until the black holes evaporate and the space to the ends of the universe would make no difference at all. If we were to wait, listen to this, we would truly be waiting for a miracle. And folks, I'm telling you, this is just the tip of the iceberg. We have 41, that's right, 41 DVDs in our ministry exposing just the lie of evolution. And we don't copyright them. You can give them out as much as you like. We, we do that with all of our media, including this one that you're watching right now. But on those 41 DVDs, we go in depth and expose this live evolution for what it really is. We first of all deal with the topic of intelligent design in our study called Intelligent Creation, which shows scientific data, folks, that all of creation implies an intelligent designer, i.e. God. And then we expose the myth of even being here for millions and billions of years, like evolution would have you and I believe. And we cover that lie in our study called A Young Creation. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. And then we play a sort of game, if you will, uh, and we ignore all the evidence of intelligent design, which implies a designer, and we give the evolutionists all the time in the world they need for something to so-called evolve, and we put it to the test. Does evolution and its various mechanisms, do they even work? No. It not only doesn't work, but we actually quote the evidence uh, of, from the evolutionists themselves who admit 
that it is a lie and it doesn't work and they know it doesn't work, but they continue to promote it. We do that in our study called a special creation. And then we find and provide geological, archaeological, even scientific evidence that the flood of Noah mentioned in the creation account really did happen, including the discovery of highly advanced uh, technological society, just like the Bible talks about. And we cover that in our study called a judge creation. And what's amazing is that people find this incredible technology buried in the dirt and they say, well, hey, it must have been from UFOs. This incredible technology, uh, it was aliens that left it here uh, uh, in their departure or something of that sort. No, the Bible says it's the leftover remains of a pre-flood world, Noah's society, that was super intelligent. And they had the ability to do things that we can't even come close to duplicating uh, even today. It has nothing to do with UFOs, but they have come up with anything they can think of just to discount the biblical uh, account in the Bible. And finally, we deal with the big topic of dinosaurs in the Bible. What really happened to the dinosaurs? And just to give you a little teaser from that study, what in the world are human remains doing mixed in with dinosaur remains? And we deal with that and much, much more in our study called A Fearful Creation. And so here's the point. All these studies clearly expose the lie of evolution, okay, which should lead to the logical conclusion if evolution cannot take place on this planet, then it cannot take place logically on any planet. And if evolution cannot happen here, then logically it cannot happen anywhere, which means the whole premise of higher evolved aliens coming here from across the universe is a lie. In fact, it's so obvious of a lie that even secular UFOologists admit it. Let's take a look at this video. Describe what they look like. I could. I could, but it would probably take a whole lot of time. The reason I state that, when I got out in 1989, we had cataloged 57 different species. Uh, you have individuals that look very much like you and myself that could walk among, among us and you wouldn't even notice the difference, except for some of the things that uh, they might be able to go ahead even in a dark room and touch an object and go, go ahead and identify what color that object might be. They would have a heightened sense of smell, sight, uh, hearing. Uh, the uh, situation is that you have various types of what we normally call grays. We didn't call them grays in the military, but you had at least three types of the grays. You had some that were much taller than we were, uh, the unique thing I th uh, that I'd like to point out for the most part is that the entities that we did catalog were in fact humanoid. Now this created a situation where the scientific community was trying to figure out why that would be the case. Because you would expect that if life evolved on other planets that they would take on some type of other uh, being, so to speak. Not necessarily look humanoid or be bi bipedal such as we are. But apparently, we got quite a few of the species out there that are humanoid in appearance. And that creates a question that yet has to be answered by science. Yes, I would agree. That's a very good point. If evolution is true, then why are all these alien creatures humanoid just like us? I mean, you would think, if it's supposed to be random, that you get some sort of blob or some random shape once in a while if evolution is 
uh, true and that's where all of life came from and it's all based on random chance, but no, that's not what we get. That sounds kind of fishy to me. I don't know about you, but when you think about this, folks, it, it starts to make you realize just how deceptive, just how seductive this last day's lie really is concerning UFOs, okay? When you put all the facts together, you actually need the lie of evolution first in order to pull off the lie of aliens today, which means slowly, methodically, you and I, we have been conditioned to buy into the lie of evolution first about 150 years ago with Charles Darwin. That's how long this thing has been in the works, and now we're seeing the fruition of it in our days. And if you recall in the section we already saw in the history of UFO sightings, uh, the so-called UFO encounters uh, and occurrences really began to take off when? In the 1940s, throughout the 1960s, and that just so happens to be when evolution began to make its major entryway into our minds, uh, at least here in America. And that's when it became more and more dominant in our country. And so you put all this together and the timing, I don't think is by chance. I think it's impeccable. First, you get us as a people to buy into the lie of evolution so that eventually once that's ingrained into our brains, then that's the ultimate setup for lie number two. And that's the lie of higher evolved beings called aliens and UFOs, okay? In fact, it's a lie that's been custom tailored for our last day's technological society. In fact, one researcher, Dr. Walter Martin, here's what he has to say about this technological lie in the last days. One researcher, Dr. Walton Martin, he states this. He says, quote, the big problem is not what they are, but who they are. The key to it is their theology. They're all saying the same thing, and all of it is bad-mouthing the Bible. This tells me, he says, that what the Bible says was going to take place is taking place. What you're dealing with is another dimension of reality, which the Bible frequently mentions. It's called the realm of the prince of the powers of the air. In other words, this is a supernatural manifestation, which Christianity calls demonic. Look, Martin says, I, I don't think that there's a devil behind every bush and tree. I'm just saying that what would we expect at the end of our age and our advanced culture? We would expect a manifestation that would fit into our time frame. What better way to attract us than with intergalactic visitors? We're obsessed with them. And boy, is he right. Thanks in large part to our media, you know, like in Star Wars or Star Trek, that tells us that we're evolving uh, into a higher intelligent being and we can explore other galaxies and encounter other higher evolved beings as we travel through space, etc., etc., etc. But here's the point. Again, if nothing can evolve, and it can't, again, check out our studies, then this whole thing is a lie. This whole identity of UFOs being occupied by evolving aliens is a lie. It's a fantasy just like Star Wars, just like Star Trek. Therefore, this tells us you're dealing with something deceptive. You're dealing with something that's lying to you, and that is completely characteristics of demons. They lie, and Satan, the Bible says, is the father of all lies. But that's not all. The second reason why the Bible says UFOs are clearly demonic in origin. They not only lie, but they teach like demons. Earthlings, welcome. I think something fishy is going on here. And again, I think this is just pure logic. Let's take a look at what they teach, okay? They supposedly come from the edge of the universe. And, and, and what are they doing here? Ask yourself the logical question. First of all, why in the world would these beings come all the way to the earth just to what? When you look at the evidence to promote occult New Age teachings and debunk only Christianity? 
Sounds kind of fishy to me. Sounds like something a demon would teach, okay? And that's exactly what this researcher has to state as well. John Ankerberg, he states this. He says, in light of the messages given by the UFO entities, how credible is it to think that literally thousands of genuine extraterrestrials would fly millions or billions of light years simply to teach New Age philosophy, deny Christianity, and support the occult? Why would they do this with the preponderance of such activity already occurring on this planet? And why would these entities actually possess and inhabit people just like demons do if they were really advanced extraterrestrials? Why would they consistently lie about things which we know are true? And why would they purposely deceive their contacts? Hmm, good question. That sounds to me like what a demon would do, teach lying stuff just like that. But uh, that's right, let's take a look at some of their other lying messages and uh, things that they teach. And you tell me if it's not demonic as well. Let's take a look. Their first lie is that uh, we can all become little gods, or that we are, and we just need to recognize this. UFO entities say that all of us are little gods, and that they teach that God and man, and even creation, are part of the same divine essence. In other words, they are teaching the age-old-fashioned pantheism that all is God, as this video of channeled UFO messages reveals. Let's take a look. Some channeled entity, some Christ, some priest, some preacher, some deity, some prophet is our redeemer that excuses us from living life. We have missed the message. Why don't we learn to think on our own and find new benefactors for that greatness? Genius, you know, it is that which is not mediocrity, is not predictable, is not funded, is not hired. It is that which can dream beyond the paradigms. You have the ability to be a genius. And did you know that every dream that you dream should never be put aside as imagination? That every dream is the next step of your evolution. And Ramtha gives us permission. He first says, you are God. Now let's get about learning how to be that. Religion is no longer sacred. Everyone questions the church. They should. Everyone questions the meaning of life, and everyone questions the direction that science has taken. And when you do that, it is an age of enlightenment. We cannot have. Enlightenment does not come on the heels of the Black Plague. No, that is not enlightenment. Enlightenment comes on the heels of plenty. Because only when you are gluttonous to everything and you question everything are you ripe to know what you have never known. So forget about the past and live today on the wisdom, the virtue of what you've gained. You don't have to feel guilty about your life anymore. I would love someone to stand up and say, God doesn't live outside of you. God is you. While Jay-Z Knight is among the more successful mediums, she is certainly not alone. A nearly identical doctrine is preached from a series of channelers who believe they are in communication with extraterrestrial spirits from other planets and galaxies. 
In the documentary, UFOs and Channeling, the late actor Telly Savalas reveals that the purpose of channeling these alien entities is entirely consistent with the purpose of the New Thought New Age movement, to change the thinking of mankind. Tonight, we're going to show you some film that may change the way you think about life. Change the way you think about life. Next, we are introduced to a woman who channels a spirit, calling itself Leah. Hello, Philip. How are you today? Very good, Leah. How are you? Very fine, thank you. So, what is it that you wanted to know? Where are you from? I'm from Venus. I don't think anybody's going to believe that uh, you or anybody else could be from Venus. Could you explain to us how you could be when everybody knows it's uninhabitable? They think it's uninhabitable because it is not inhabitable by physical life forms. We have bodies of light. While Leah rambles on with fantastical ideas, she soon compels the audience toward global unity, a message found throughout the New Age movement. And what occurs here on this planet will affect the rest of the universe. Can you, with all of your different ideas, all of your different races, come together as one planet and one people? We have dedicated millennia upon millennia to this idea. The earlier experiments with Pan and Lemuria and Atlantis were not successful. But this one will be. Now the interviewer asks the woman to exchange spirits and to channel another spirit that calls itself the Tibetan. Tibet is an often referred to hotspot for New Age empowerment. Hitler's Nazi occultists went to Tibet thinking to find their ancient Aryan ancestors. Listen carefully to the Tibetan's message as he refers to the great I Am, the name God reveals in the Bible to describe himself. I am the Tibetan and I have come during this time continuum to discuss with you the idea of the only question in the universe. And that question is, what is? And the answer is, I am. For all things that are created, that were created, that shall be created, fall under the question, what is? And you, each and every one of you, are that answer, and that answer is, I am. I am is also the name of the creator of this universe. That is all. I relinquish control to the entity, Leah. As the entity Leah returns, she confirms the You Are God message and refers to the new race that will arise through the New Age movement. Most New Agers today do not realize that this new race is identical to the master race prophesied by Adolf Hitler, a race of so-called supermen who will be their own gods, having rejected the one true God of the Bible. This new age is where there will be a race on this planet and throughout all galaxies 
and the name of that race will be peace. It's been wonderful spending some time with you. As you take this little piece of information with you, know that you are never alone. You are all connected to the creative source of this universe. And nothing can stop that flow except your denial that you are God. We thank you. Good day. This man channels a spirit calling itself Bashar, who seems to hold his audience spellbound as he tells them they are equal to the creator of the universe. That you are all made in the image of the infinite creator, and what that means is you are all infinite creators. We thank you. Jack Purcell has become one of the more popular channels possessed by a spirit named Lazarus. All right, fine. <clears throat> well, indeed, a pleasure to be talking with you. And, uh, well, shall we begin where you'd like to begin? Lazarus tells the listener that God is already within man, and that if man wants to find God, he needs only to find himself. Now, the problem here is people look out there. Yes? They're looking all over the place as though God was somehow outside out of them. It's within. Every spiritual reference, be it fundamental or be it avant-garde, speaks of that spirit within. And we would suggest here that it's there. And therefore, your task in this physical lifetime really isn't to find God, because God's everywhere. God, God is all that is, is everything. It's all over the place. Your task in any physical incarnation is to find yourself. Jane Roberts was a New Age pioneer who channeled a spirit known as Seth. Roberts sold more than a million copies of her books and inspired many. In this vocal recording, we hear her channel the spirit of Seth. I've said this many times. I say it a million times. Here in this class and in my books, you form your reality. Then what is the you that forms this spectacular reality that you know? When will you be willing to admit the greatness that is within each of you and not power and not say in this realm of reality it is not possible but uh, encounter the greatness within yourselves clearly the main message that Seth is trying to say is that people are gods in training some may find it interesting that the name Seth is synonymous with the Egyptian god, Set. And in the realm of the occult, Set is one of the infernal names of Satan. But not only that, what's also very interesting is that this desire to be like God was what caused the very fall of Satan. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the clouds, the top of the clouds. I, I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. And that's precisely why the Bible is very emphatic, folks, that there is only one God, not many. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 35 says, You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God, 
Besides him, there is no other. Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 60 says, So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is no other. Isaiah 44, verse 8 says, Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No. There is no other rock, I know not one. And Isaiah 45, verse 5 says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. But hey, it's a good thing that nobody's fallen for this obvious lie. Actually, this lie is spreading fast to almost all corners of society. And here's the first instance. Even in environmentalism, that's what they teach, that all is God. Quote, the philosophy of environmentalism is based in the religious belief of pantheism, that God is in all, and all is God, that earth is our mother, or Gaia, and that all living things have equal value, and that mankind has overstepped its bounds, even being a cancer on the rest of nature. As ardent environmentalist Al Gore states, quote, God is not separate from the earth. But, in case you don't get mixed in with environmentalism, there's all also Hinduism. Hinduism says that all is God. Hinduism, quote, worships multiple deities, gods and goddesses, and say that all reality is unity. The entire universe, including you and me, is seen as one divine entity, just in different facets or forms or manifestations, and is worthy of worship, as seen in this next video clip. Well, Guru is the, our best friend, philosopher, and guide, and he shows the way to God. So, uh, we in our India acknowledge him, as a divine power just equivalent to God. If anyone could be near the beloved master and witness the love, the compassion, the humility, the grace, the generosity, no one in his right mind would not know that this is a walking, talking, living God on earth. In all scriptures you will find that the master is the God incarnated power working on earth. You people that interviewed this gentleman today, I don't think you knew who you interviewed, but you interviewed God. But that's not all Mormons even say that you can become a God. Quote, after you become a good Mormon, you have the potential of becoming a God. Then shall they be gods, because they have no end. Therefore, they shall be from everlasting to everlasting, because they continue. Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they be gods. So-called spirit guides say that we are God. Here's a quote from one of these demonic entities. They say, feel the millions of souls, the divine spark within each of them. We are here in your moments of realization, in the moments you come to meet with your divinity, in the moment when you finally accept that which you truly are. And even suppose that messages from the Virgin Mary say that we're God. Quote, God is all that is. Therefore, we are prime creator expressing itself as us. We are not striving for perfection, as we are already perfect. What we are striving for is to remember our perfection. We are not divided into parts. Since God is us, therefore we are God. And suppose the messages from angels say that we're God. Obviously, they're the fallen category, demons. And here's one of those line messages. It says this, It is nice to come and break bread, the bread of truth. God gives all of His creation freedom of choice to find themselves, to find their true ancestry of God-Goddess within them. And of course, New Agers say that we are God. 
One of the most ardent New Agers is Shirley MacLaine, and she not only says that she's God, but she even made a movie encouraging everybody else to do the same thing. In fact, here's a sample of this movie in this next clip. Let's take a look. Actress Shirley MacLaine was Time Magazine's poster girl for the New Age movement in the 1980s. MacLaine starred in the biographical miniseries Out on a Limb, based on her journey into New Age belief. The series has been called the most talked about miniseries of all time. The title, Out on a Limb, refers to the risk involved in seeking the fruit of the tree of knowledge. Mayan told me to tell you one thing if you had a hard time with this. She said in order to get to the fruit of the tree, you have to go out on a limb. Mayan is a spirit guide sending a message to McLean, a message that is repeated throughout the series. It's like saying that they don't believe in themselves. Isn't it difficult to love somebody who doesn't love himself? Yeah, it's like they don't know who they are, you know. I mean, if you don't know who you are, you can't love yourself. Well, don't you ever get frustrated when you feel like you're not really being yourself? Yes, all the time. Right. That's what all the masters have tried to help us with. What masters? You know, Christ, Buddha, the Indian avatars. They were really just master politicians who went right to the root of the problems in society, the individual. Some of them said if everybody believed that he was a part of God, the kingdom of heaven was within, and that if we took responsibility for that, that we wouldn't get so frustrated with ourselves, with ourselves or with anybody else. That it seems like it takes multiple lifetimes to come to that simple realization. That's mind-boggling, David. I mean, when you think of what that really means. You want to know a good exercise that helps you get in touch with the realization that we each have God inside of us? Exercise. Here's what you do. Just stand up, hold your arms out like this, and say, the kingdom of heaven is within. I love myself. The kingdom of heaven is within. I love myself. No way, better than that. Say, uh, say, I and God are one. No, wait, 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 better than that. I got the best one. This is the best one. Just say, I am God. David, I can't say that. See how little you think of yourself? can't even say the words. I am God. I am God. A little louder, please, with maybe a little more conviction. God. I am. Look, if I'm God, what does that make you? Well, we always see in others what we see in ourselves. I am God. I am God. I am God. I am God. I am I God. God. 
I am God. I am God. I am God. I am God. And even Wicca, which is the new term for old-fashioned witchcraft today, uh, says that we are God. Quote, the existence of a supreme divine power is known as the One, or the All. The All is not separate from the universe, but part of it. And from the All came the God and Goddesses, and they are manifested in various forms in the universe. Divinity, they say, is within. And of course, here's where it all comes from, folks. The devil says we can become God. The book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 5 says, For God knows, and this is the devil speaking the lie that caused the fall of mankind, he says, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, 
It's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. And that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please. Take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702 452 8599 or email us at bcrone at or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.